Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. Welcome to my co-host on Future Sense here, Steve McDonald. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Nick. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm a little, little frazzled after this season. You know, it sort of throws you off, doesn't it? You don't know what day it is. Well, I don't know what day it is half the time. It does a bit too. And, uh, and we're in a national crisis here we in are. Australia with Indeed. massive, massive fires, which I'm sure most people around the world are seeing on the news anyway. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. But first up this morning, we've got a guest on the show, haven't we, Nick? We have indeed. And we've been talking quite a lot in the last few weeks about the book, The Change Code, A Practical Guide to Making a Difference in a Polarised World. And uh, that is uh, the author is Monica Bourgeois. We'll be talking to her from, I think, Portland in Oregon. That's right. At about, uh, in about 10, 15 minutes or so from now. It's a book that, uh, as you may know if you listen to the show, that uh, Steve here uh, wrote the foreword for and is also quoted in there uh, here and there too. It's uh, for leaders, visionaries and change makers. Those are the folks that we like to talk to here on this show because there you are out there. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Indeed, uh, and uh, we've got a couple of books to give away to local listeners, uh, so uh, listen in and you might get a chance to grab a book. In fact, uh, you can you can actually call up pretty well anytime. Kate is out there already. She's she's familiar with the book. She has a copy out there she can look at herself at the moment. Um, so you can, if you are a subscriber to BFM, then you can call up 668078799 and go in the draw for a copy of The Change Code, which has been generously donated uh, a few copies. We have we have some, but we're just going to give away two today, uh, given them by, uh, by Monica. Thank you to her, and we'll be talking to her very soon. Yeah, fantastic. Um, it's 2020, the first show of 2020, 2020 Vision. They say hindsight is 2020 vision, but we need more than hindsight on this planet now. We do, yeah. It's uh, 2020 shaping up to be a rather turbulent year, but I'm sure uh, there'll also be some pretty amazing things that happen as well. I think it's going to be action-packed. Action-packed, and we're going to be talking about action today, talking about agents of change. Many of you out there who listen to this show may well consider yourselves in some way or other to be agents for change. That that's the most... Uh, immediate thing that is a focus in your life at this time to contribute to the change on this planet that is clearly needed in so many ways and in very complex ways so we're going to be talking to you particularly today and that's all of you out there of course because you're all change agents you're tuned to future sense with nick jeans and steve mcdonald engage emerge activate and spiral up if you're true to Future Sense, it's 9.18 on Bay FM. If you're listening live here in the morning on the northern rivers of New South Wales in Australia, uh, the east coast of Australia, we are on if you're listening somewhere else and uh, certainly uh, riddled with uh, extremely horrendous fires and conditions in the south of, uh, of the country, in the southeast of the country. And our thoughts and prayers go out to all of those people, all those folk out there and all the firefighters, the RFS and all the others who are... Um, battling those incredible blazes. And if you're listening somewhere else out there in the world via our podcast or via our, uh, our website at bayfm, bayfm.org, live streaming, you could be listening right now, or our podcast at futuresense.it. 
And uh, I should also mention that we have, of course, our text line, which you can text at any time if you're local to us, 0437341904, if you have anything to add to, comment on, or bring our attention to. But we have on the line our special guest this morning, and uh, great pleasure to welcome her from Portland in Oregon. Yeah. Hello, Monica. Hi, Steve and Nick. Hello, Monica. Monica Bourgeau, she is the author of The Change Code, a practical guide to making a difference in a polarised world for leaders, visionaries and change makers, and with a forward from our friend over here, Steve McDonald himself. That's and right, and, and what a time it is on this planet in terms of change, where we've got people protesting all over the world, calling for change and, uh, and desperately trying to make it happen. And how long ago was it, Monica, that you formed the idea to write a book about change? Well, I actually really got serious about writing a book at the end of last year. So I uh, started blogging back in 2011, and I wrote a blog post called Seven Ways to Change the World back in 2014, and it uh, was on Huffington Post, so it got a really great response worldwide. And it really helped me see the value of a really simple but optimistic message and so kind of since that time, I've thought about writing a book, and I, I got really serious at the end of um, last year. When you say last year, was that 2018? 2018, yeah. Wow, so you've, you've knocked this book out in, and got it published in 12 months. That's a pretty amazing task, really. Yeah, it was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Is, is this the first book you've written? It is the first book I've written. Wow, and do you have a, a background in writing? I, obviously, you've been blogging for a while. Not really. I've been blogging for a while and um, have just been really interested in writing. And then uh, I was interested in, you know, writing something about how to create positive change. And then, of course, once I discovered Graves's whole theory, I just knew that, you know, that needed to be the underlying framework for the book. Right. And when was it that you came across Graves's work for the first time? So I really believe that once we set a really clear intention and we step into that, that we can kind of co-create things with the universe. And writing this book was definitely a lesson in that for me. So I decided at the end of 2018 to write a book, and I knew it was going to be about how to create positive change, but I didn't know about Graves' theory or anything like that at that time. And then almost immediately after making that decision, uh, I found this class locally, a six-week class on spiral dynamics. And of course, I had no idea what that was at first. But once I heard the description, I thought, oh, that might be interesting. And then after one class, I was just completely blown away. And it, it really changed my life. Wow, that, that's quite extraordinary. I actually thought you discovered Graves maybe a year earlier than that, but that's, that's even sooner than I thought. And uh, to be able to get your head around the model and then put it down on paper in that short space of time is quite extraordinary. Yes, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, Monica, this is Nick here. It made me a bit envious, actually, because the, the clarity of your perception and understanding of the model seems to be, uh, well, almost transcendent. As you said, it's like the universe gifted you this opportunity to reach into this material and inform the book that you wanted to write anyway without actually knowing how that was going to unfold. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. In all honesty, I kind of became obsessed with the theory. Like as soon as I learned about it, it just gave me so much uh, hope and comfort that what we're going through right now, kind of the chaos and uh, all the 
uh, turmoil that I see around me is part of a normal change process. And I also saw that there could be a lot of really practical uh, applications for the theory. So I just was determined to learn absolutely everything I could about the theory. So I started reading and researching and, you know, pretty much all of my free time. And of course, that's how I came across uh, Steve and the Future Sense podcast as well. Cool. And uh, at what stage did you reach out to uh, Dr. Don Beck, who, of course, is one of the co-authors of the Spiral Dynamics book? So I didn't actually reach out to Dr. Beck until kind of maybe mid-year. And it just so happened that I had a business trip in Dallas, Texas, which is not too far from his home in Denton. And so I had sent him a couple of emails and he hadn't really responded, but he responded while I was in Dallas and said, I'd be happy to meet with you and, you know, here's my address. And so I made the trek up to Denton to meet with him in person and uh, it was pretty amazing. He was incredibly kind and gracious and he had all of these materials just meticulously laid out uh, across his living room and kind of took me on on a tour of uh, Graves' work and uh, his work as well. So it was very meaningful and uh, incredibly educational. Well, that's wonderful. And I, as you know, I trained with Don back in 2005, uh, a couple of years after I discovered Graves' work also through the Spiral Dynamics book. And uh, Don must be getting on in age now. Uh, do you know how old he is exactly? Uh, I know he's in his 80s yes, and he is. actually just had his birthday at the end of December. Uh, so he's had kind of a, a rough go of it. He's had some health issues the past couple of years and he lost his wife just over a year ago. So he hasn't been very public, so for him to kind of let me in a little bit was uh, incredibly gracious, and I'm, I'm very grateful. Mm. I was uh, fascinated to read uh, Monica about his work with Nelson Mandela, and uh, as I also studied Graves' work, I was familiar with uh, Don Beck's influence on Nelson Mandela, but I didn't realize what, how foundational in some senses it was to the work that he did as once he got out of jail and became the president of South Africa. Can you just uh, expand on that a little bit? Sure. There's actually a book that Dr. Beck wrote mm. about the topic in a lot more detail, but it's called The Crucible. And Dr. Beck uh, had made several promises to Claire W. Graves uh, when he was kind of going out on his own. And it was really to start applying Graves' theory to real world mm challenges and one of those was to try to make a, a positive impact in South Africa and so he reached out to Nelson Mandela and his team there in South Africa and offered to be of assistance and so they did take him up on that and he was able to make 67 trips to South Africa and one of the things that was really impressive to me is that Dr. Beck was a, a full professor at a college in Texas, and he actually gave that up and funded a lot of the trips himself through his retirement accounts and some various consulting projects and that sort of thing. But he was really committed to proving that Graves' theory was more than just a theory, that there were really practical ways that you could apply it to some of the hottest uh, tension places in the world. Yeah, that's right. It, it uh, no doubt changed Don's life as well, because as you said, he was a professor of history and uh, basically gave up his career and just devoted the rest of his life to uh, to working with Graves and uh, and educating people about his model and applying the model also in the world. Yeah, that's fantastic. Monica, we might just take a short break and we'll come back for some more. 
Yeah. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Monica Borgia, she is the, uh, the author of The Change Code New Book, and we have two copies generously donated by her today. We've got some others, but today we're giving away two. Uh, if you are a subscriber to BFM 668079, give Kate a call. She's out there. She'll take your details down there, and we'll run the draw for as long as we're talking to, to Monica today and then draw those two books, uh, gifts from her. The Change Code, a practical guide to making a difference in a polarised world, and the polarisation is something I'm sure we'll be talking about quite a lot shortly. We'll be back. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on BayFM. You're tuned to BayFM and uh, it is 9.34 here on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and myself, Nick Jeans. And uh, quickly before we go back to talking to Monica Borgio, a couple of texts have come in that are relevant. Thank you. Uh, 0437341119 if you want to text in. And uh, first listener says, there have been times in the past I've barely been able to be an agent for changing my underpants, let alone anything greater. Uh, thanks, Nick and Steve, for helping fuel my inspiration to tap into flow and commit to being a part of a movement for bigger for big picture change. Cheers, Jack in Brisbane. Hey, Jack. Thanks for joining That's us great. from Brisbane. Thanks, and uh, secondly, uh, second text from someone else. Hey, guys, I read her book already. Whoa. I read her book. It's awesome. It sounds like a lot of the content came from this show, and in particular Steve's analogies and metaphors. Very inspiring. I would love to become one of the change agents she writes about. Lovely. Thank Wonderful. You. Did you hear that, Monica? That's awesome. I'm so glad that you enjoyed the book. Thank you for the feedback. Mm, cool. Very good. And I thought uh, we might just talk for a moment, Monica, about your uh, career background, just to get a sense of you know, what shaped your understanding of change, the kind of work that you've done in the past. If you, would you want to give us a little summary? Sure, you bet. So I actually grew up in a really rural town in Montana, but I went on to get a degree in psychology and a master's degree in management with an emphasis on organizational leadership. And that's really where I started learning about complex systems and complex system design. And then as far as a career, for the past about two decades, I've been working in healthcare transformation with uh, rural hospitals across the United States, as well as with health insurance companies. And our goal has really been uh, to do system transformation and payment reform. Um, but kind of two of the coolest things I've done in my career were creating hackathon events. And I partnered with um, uh, MIT to create uh, hacking medicine events. And so that type of uh, innovation and just exciting energy of change has just been something that I've always uh, really been drawn to. And then I've also spent um, almost 20 years studying personal transformation and spirituality and all of those sorts of things. And then I, of course, discovered Graves. And I'm definitely still learning about all of this, which is so much fun. That's cool. Tell us just briefly about the hackathon events. Uh, I take it they were, were kind of live events, like face-to-face -face events, where people were trying to innovate on the spot. Is that a fair description? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was in um, healthcare transformation, it was really frustrating to try to create change in the American healthcare system. And so I always looked a lot to entrepreneurs and designers and people with different perspectives. And so I thought, wouldn't it be fun to bring together rural hospital executives with um, some of these other perspectives to 
brainstorm and come up with completely out of the box and new solutions. And so that's the the kind of thing that we did at the hackathon events. And uh, fortunately, I was able to partner with MIT and their hacking medicine program to lead those events. So they already had kind of a, a proven model and framework. And and we came up with some really cool things that have actually been implemented. So so that was a lot of fun. That's very cool. And and when it came to conceptualizing the Change Code book. What was the scope of your uh, thinking in terms of creating change? Like, were you, you know, clearly you were working within a health system and, and I guess uh, on a sort of a, a national scale, perhaps thinking about, uh, you know, uh, upgrading, changing the health system. Um, and when you came to, to conceptualise the book, were you thinking on a, on a kind of national scale or were you really thinking global? Um, you know, I was definitely thinking global, but, you know, certainly in the United States as well, and really understanding the importance of creating new systems that would support change, because I see kind of every day in my work about how systems can keep the right thing from happening, um, you know, both with patients and just in our day-to-day lives. And so I really wanted to be part of that. And I, the goal really was just to inspire people to take action and to uh, start working toward positive change. Because I I just felt like a lot of people were feeling kind of like I was before I discovered Graves' model, that uh, they were really frustrated and almost kind of getting paralyzed by the negative um, headlines that were in the media. And so uh, I felt like it was really important to share this model with those people that are out there that really are pathfinders and, you know, they're out there creating change already and just to let them know, you know, keep doing that and, and we need you now more than ever and to give them some real tools to do that. That's great. And uh, as well as Graves's material, you've also got uh, a lot of good content in the book around the issue of polarization and and dealing constructively with polarization and what what was the origin of of that when did you first come across that material so you know i really that was kind of a new material for me i hadn't worked a lot with um, political types of topics or polarization but i felt like that was a major obstacle because i could see these you know major problems like climate change and immigration and even the healthcare system And it was frustrating to me that we weren't able to communicate and come together to work towards solutions. And so I identified polarization as a major factor in all of that and felt like really to make progress, we needed to somehow be able to tackle some of the polarization that we're seeing. And so you've got some some really good practical model uh, kind of material in the book there to, to guide people on how to how to think about polarization and how to approach solutions, right? Yes. Yeah, so one of uh, my favorite tools that I share in the book is a tool that was um, developed by uh, Dr. Barry Johnson, and it's called Polarity Mapping and Polarity Management because there's pretty much polarities in everything we do and good leaders really learn how to identify those polarities and manage to them rather than um, you know the whole pendulum going too far one way or too far the other way so for example just the decision that a company or an organization or an individual would make you know if they should change or stay the same that's an example of a polarity. And so you can look at the pros of changing, you can look at the cons of changing, you can look at the pros for 
um, staying the same and, you know, the, the cons for making too much change and really start to balance those polarities. And that's how you get really good leadership. And so that was a really helpful tool that I discovered in this process that I've already started using uh, in my workshops and in my own organization to help drive change more easily and also to do it in a way that really looks at all perspectives to create better solutions. That's fantastic. And um, I, I think I might have shared with you that I had a meeting with our Governor General here in Australia a few weeks ago, and uh, who, who is officially our head of state, like a, because we're still a part of the, the British Commonwealth. Uh, and we, I, the meeting was, a, was really about healthcare. It was about talking about you know, research in psychedelic medicine and, and the progress that had happened, particularly in the US, and, and what we might need to do here in order to catch up. But at the end of that discussion, he just said, oh, well, so what are you doing with yourself these days? And, and so uh, I had, I've been speaking to him about spiral dynamics at uh, army reunions over the years, and, and he was aware of that. And I said to him, you remember that stuff? And he said, yeah, I remember that. And we had a good little conversation about all the change going on at the moment. And he actually suggested to me that there was some kind of paradigm shift going on, you know, based on discussions that he'd had with some of the, the people in Canberra, which is our national capital. And so uh, I'm going to send him a copy of the book pretty soon. Uh, so that, that'll be on the Governor General's desk here in Australia. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Thank yeah. you. Very good. Now, you identifying uh, polarisation, I think it's something we, we talk about quite a lot here on this show, and we talk about it particularly in the frame of Claire W. Graves' work in, in regards to the regressive search that at this time of crisis when we are on the edge, uh, as you say, I think uh, later in the book, uh, just to quote you, you say, we're stuck in the middle of two worlds, the chaotic, the chaotic current day reality of society on the one hand and our own personal microcosm on the other. It's like we have one foot on the dock and another on the boat, and the boat's beginning to drift away. We know we're supposed to do something, to do more, and then there must be a better way. We're just not sure what that looks like. And I think that's, that's a, a description, I think, of many people that we certainly know in this region here of, of uh, relatively aware people, you could argue, uh, really looking for how to uh, make that bridge between uh, where we are and where we, we've started to vision where we need to go. And against that is this force of excessive polarisation and tribalism that is uh, sort of overtaking the world. So it is actually a natural process. So can you speak to that a little bit, please? Sure, yeah. I love that quote that you just shared, Nick. Thank you. And it actually kind of comes from my healthcare background. We talk a lot about the shaky bridge because we're trying to transition our healthcare system in the United States from a volume-based system where doctors get paid based on the number of times they see a patient to the value-based system where it's really based on more positive outcomes and keeping the patient healthy. And so I think of that, you know, one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat Kind of a scenario a lot with change and and that's where I think polarity mapping uh, becomes really helpful because you need to make that change but also if you go too quickly and change everything you're setting yourself up for failure and so it's good to look at kind of both sides yeah. of an issue and, and have multiple perspectives so that you can understand uh, all of the different um, components that are going to be affected by just making one small change yeah. and so you know, really being informed about that. 
Mm, I think one of the uh, one of the things that really both um, made absolute sense, but also challenged me a little bit, was the notion that you bring forward to uh, change agency on the planet at this time, which is what your book is addressing. The change agents that we all, many of us, seek to be, is uh, this. Um, the notion that we're going to have to be satisfied with uh, solutions that are good enough going forward. I think this is key and it sort of speaks to that complexity which you just mentioned there. There are so many factors, so many levers when you move one thing, another thing moves. I think that's maybe one of the hardest things for many people to, to come to is maybe there isn't some uh, silver bullet anywhere. There is actually uh, strategies we need to move forward that incorporate all of this but are the best we can do in any given moment in time. For sure. And that was um, actually a really big epiphany for me in writing the book is coming to that conclusion because I'm definitely a problem solver and I want to get in and just, you know, fix some of these big problems. And I realized that that's just not going to be the case. And so it's getting comfortable with that good enough for now solution and just moving forward kind of bit by bit and also bringing people with you because I think, you know, that's one of the challenges we're seeing in the United States right now is, you know, half the people feel one way and half the people feel the other way. And as long as you have that incredible divide, you're not moving forward at all. So, you know, doing things in a way that you're going to move at least the masses together is going to be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think because we're in this in-between space uh, after the the sort of height of the scientific industrial era and in the early stage emergence of what's next it's perhaps one of the most difficult times you know throughout the whole change cycle to try and have to deal with that polarity because there's just so much of it around and it's growing right now Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and and that that of course is where graves's work uh comes in and and really shows its value is that we can understand uh, all sides of the you know of of the all perspectives rather in the polarity situation and and even the you know different layers i mean it's i guess when we talk about polarity by definition we normally mean this or that you know two choices but graves kind of teases it out a bit further so we can see uh, you know more detail on either side of the fence Absolutely. And I think the example you use a lot, Steve, is really appropriate about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater because there is value in some of those earlier layers that we need to tap into in order to be successful in solving the bigger problems that we face. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Seems to be the key, really, is how to bring everybody with you, as uh, as uh, as said, transcend, but include, and to find the the setting, the set and setting for each individual in their expression from their value system to have to have value in a in a new world, in a solution based world going forward. That's really quite a strong challenge. Just that I think for many of us. For sure. And I think especially those of us that are change agents and that like to kind of drive change, I can always see the benefits of creating change, but it's actually a really good exercise for me to look back at, you know, what are the benefits of uh, staying the same and the way things have done been done before and how can we start to mesh some of those benefits with the benefits of change in order to make transitions more smoothly. Yeah, and that's part of the value in the regressive value search. Uh, you know, it's it's easy to look at that regression as a negative, but it also includes the positive act, uh, aspect of looking back to previous eras when we've lived communally, for example, and, and remembering how we did that, mm. and also understanding in that process that we're not going back to that, but we're learning from it in order to create something new, something more complex and capable. 
that's a really good point. Yeah. We'll take another little break here. Monica, we're talking to Monica Borgia, the author of The Change Code. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. It's uh, 9.54 here on Bay FM on Future Sense with myself, Nick Jeans, and Steve McDonald through till 11 o'clock this morning. We're talking today to the author of The Change Code, Monica Borgia. She is in Portland in Oregon, and it is the practical guide to making a difference in a polarized world. And the term that's used that she uses often in the book is agents for change. It is a book that is speaking to agents for change. If you identify yourself in some way as that, I know many people do in the various fields, in the work that you do, in the volunteer activity that you do, in the environmental work that you do, in the social justice work you do, in other areas of life. And if you identify yourself as an agent of change in some form or other, then uh, this is a book that's going to definitely give you a lot of really fantastic tools. And you can win a copy of the book, of Monica's book. We have two if you are a subscriber to Bay FM, double six eight zero seven triple nine. Give us a call and go in the draw. Yes. Yes, indeed. And it's a very uh, digestible book. It's very easy to read. Indeed. And it's very clear and it's full of wonderful tools and guides. Um, and I... Uh, I, I mentioned to you before, Monica, that I thought about writing a book a few years back on Graves' work, and um, I, you know, I saw the need for something fresh and something that, that really spoke to this time in history, because the, the Spiral Dynamics book, of course, was published back in the 90s. And uh, there have been a couple of other books uh, put out there, but I, I, I think yours really um, takes the, the prize in terms of um, the, the brief, yeah... Uh, informative nature of it, you know, and, and the way that it, you can just pick it up and, and digest things really easy, and it's it's um, it's really a wonderful manual for for change agents, you know, who want to take action. Thank you. I one of my goals in writing the book was to create something that was really accessible because you know while I enjoy a lot of the other books on spiral dynamics, they are a little bit dense sometimes, mm, yeah. and I felt like we needed more of a entry level, really accessible type of book for change agents. Yeah, exactly. And I ran into that trouble back uh, about ten years ago when I was teaching spiral dynamics in the corporate world. Uh, the book, uh, a wonderful book and life-changing book that it is, uh, it was uh, full of jargon which really just didn't translate well particularly to our culture here in Australia and, and I, I very, very quickly realised that I needed to change the language and change the way that I presented it to, to make it work a bit better. Yeah. Uh, particularly, you know, in, a, in the context of like a two-day course or something like that. Mm. Um, let's just quickly skip through the, the content of the book and, um, and get you to speak a little to that. Uh, so I, I guess you open up with uh, the chapter heading, Why Can't We Be Friends? And then How Change Really Happens. Just talk to that briefly. Sure. So the, the first chapter, Why Can't We Be Friends, is really about polarization and why we're so polarized. And some of the really interesting kind of discoveries that I had in writing the book and that I talk about are that uh, as individuals, we're not really as polarized as we think. But unfortunately, we're kind of caught up in this exaggerated cycle of polarization because our politicians have become much more polarized than before. And some of that is due to funding. That's where the, the political funding goes is more to the um, the extremes are the ones that are funding a lot of the campaigns. And then when you add to that the media and the sensationalism and uh, social media and just the negative confirmation bias, you know, when we see something from the other side, we 
we take it as a negative and all of those things have kind of created this polarizing environment yeah that's really in our face here at the moment uh, with the fire crisis and the the uh, political response which has been less than adequate in the eyes of most australians and and what what's becoming really really obvious is these underlying agendas which in day-to-day politics are certainly there but they're you know they're not so critical because we're not looking to our politicians to take uh, important and immediate actions for the the good of the greater community they're just kind of you know doing the background admin as it were for the country but um, one of the things that, that happened just in the last couple of days here in Australia was, uh, I guess most people in the world who have been watching the news about Australia probably might know that our, our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, went on holidays around the time that the fire crisis was really just starting to ramp up. And a lot of people saw that as being a bit disconnected and, and uh, inappropriate. And and then uh, when he came, he did actually uh, cut his holiday short and came back to Australia to kind of pay attention to what was going on here. And one of his very recent actions was to produce a party political advertisement uh, to put on the television to uh, talk up how good his response has been, I guess in part to try and compensate for the fact that he was under a lot of criticism for not being in the country. And, and it's just really uh, not gone down very well at all, as you can imagine. You know, people uh, are wanting a leader to focus on what needs to be done and, and the greater good. And here he is essentially focusing on his own image and trying to pump up his own image through advertisement. And I think that's a, a great example. And, and uh, you know, it's all tied in with, as you say, this, this what I call corporate capture, where with our, politi- our political system has grown into something that really relies on sponsors, financial sponsors, and often the agendas that are pushed by our leaders are those those agendas rather than uh, for the community itself. And I, you know, I'm I'm sure um, you re- you sort of identify with that uh, in terms of what's happening in the U.S. as well, right? Absolutely. And that was one of the things that I discovered in writing the book as well is that most people in the in the United States, I can't speak to Australia as much, but they feel like they don't have representative politicians really working for us. And I, I think that's just about a consensus across the board. In fact, there was a survey that I cited in the book uh, created by HiddenTribes.us that surveyed many thousands of people. And what they found are that most people fall in the the frustrated middle of the political system. They're not far right and they're not far left, but of course our politicians are not in the middle. And so there's a great deal of frustration with the political system in general. Absolutely. Um, And how change really happens. Tell us about that part of the book. Yeah, so um, I definitely built a lot off of your uh, kind of model for change, you know, based on Graves's work with how change happens and going through the different stages of change and talking about the regressive value search that you guys talk a lot about on the, the podcast. And I feel like we are definitely seeing a lot of that right now with the slogans like Make America Great Again and those types of things where we're wanting to go back to a simpler time to try to uh, ease some of the tension and um, the chaos that we're feeling. But unfortunately, it's really not working. And I think we're seeing that very clearly in the United States right now. Mm. Yeah, we are too here. Yeah. You talk uh, a lot about this. I'll, I'll just go back because it seems appropriate to um, the, the book, David Brooks's book, The Second Mountain, which you refer to, and his four interrelated social crises. crises. 
uh, and the last one being the tribalism crisis, but this is referring to the excessive individualism that is uh, upon the land and, and uh, for those who uh, understand Graves' work to some degree, this is sort of the, the, a main characteristic of, and particularly the, in the end time, so to speak, of the orange or the fifth layer of Graves' work. Uh, the, <laughs> yes, end times, I'm choosing my words carefully here, uh, that, that there's excessive individualism, individualism which can lead to uh, excessive tribalism and you say there that those who are feeling disconnected look for a way to return to the bonds of community, but unfortunately tribalism provides the dark side of community. Instead of community based on mutual affection, tribalism provides connection based on mutual hatred. Now that's a strong statement, but it is clearly, for most people, it's very hard to argue that now, that our polarity, our individualism has led to this excessive tribalism, and mostly this is based on not a good feeling, an empathetic, uh, empathic feeling to others, but actually on a, a, dis, a, disca a disgust or a distaste for others. Yeah, that was an interesting element too in the research is just finding that we view people from the other party as being far worse than they actually are. Yeah. And there's these perceptions out there. And then, you know, with social media and those types of things, they reinforce those negative concepts. But uh, the second mountain book that you referenced, Nick, was actually a really interesting uh, read for me, especially at this time, because I felt like it just so clearly kind of portrayed, especially David Brooks's own individual experience of mm. moving from orange to green, mm. where he talks about moving from the first mountain to the second mountain. And the first mountain is, of course, you know, climbing the corporate ladder and working really hard because you need to earn so much money and prestige and cars and all of those sorts of things. And, and then once you get there, you realize, you know, was that all there is? And you feel the need for something more. And so it's kind of his process through that yes. change of realizing that, you know, that's not really enough anymore and looking for a greater meaning through service and, mm. you know, the greater good and that transitional process mm. that he went through. Mm, that's fantastic. And it's very good for listeners to hear that because I think uh, there are so many people clearly in one crisis or another at the moment individually with regards, with respect to what is going on on the planet in all ways. Let's just look quickly, maybe a comment on the other three um, crisis that uh, David Brooks uh, identifies in his book, The Second Mountain, the first one being the loneliness crisis. We talk about this quite a lot on this show. The more than 35% of Americans, I'm sure these figures are pretty accurate for Australia too, 35% uh, of Americans over 45 are chronically lonely and we've stopped talking to our neighbours. Only 8% of Americans report having important conversations with their neighbours in a given year. The psychological, social and moral toll caused by this detachment is horrific. Since 1999, the U.S. suicide rate has risen by 30% to roughly 45,000. I do believe that last year, uh, 2019, was the largest number of suicides in the U.S. ever. And also opioids kill another 72,000. So those statistics really point to something in this, this loneliness crisis, don't they? They sure do. And um, boy, I see that every day firsthand just working in the healthcare system of, you know, the opioid epidemic and how that's hitting uh, communities across the country, especially the rural communities that I work mm -hmm. a lot with uh, their hospital systems. You know, they've been hit especially hard by opioids and uh, suicides and all of those types of things as mm -hmm. well. So. Uh, definitely see that kind of every day in the healthcare world. Mm, yes, indeed. And the second, uh, the second crisis that he identifies is, is the distrust crisis. Our culture has moved into a permanent state of distrust. It seems like everyone is just out for themselves, and they are. Distrust breeds distrust. When people feel distrustful, 
they conclude that the only person that they can rely on is themselves. So this is actually another, a very strong figure. We, we're seeing this very strongly in this country as much, I think, as, as you are in the United States now. Yeah, and I think that, you know, carries over to the media as well. You know, we no longer trust the media and the headlines. And so we've kind of lost, unfortunately, that common set of facts that we all agree upon. You know, we used to have just a limited number of newspapers and uh, TV reports. But the benefit of that is that everybody was kind of operating from the same uh, types of facts and now we have all of these different versions of the exact same story and so it can be really hard to discern which one is accurate and which one to believe and so I think that's just creating more and more distrust uh, just in general. Mm. And I guess it leads to the fourth uh, crisis that David Brooks identifies which is the meaning crisis that there's a pervasive lack of meaning in our society and related mental health problems such as depression and suicide are, are seeing a significant increase and that's it's pretty clear if you can't trust anybody if, you, if you're feeling alone and you can't trust what's going on in the world then it's very hard to find uh, a, a strong sense of meaning in yourself I think isn't it? Yeah for sure and that's something I hear a lot uh, still kind of working in the the corporate environment is just a lot of people feeling like you know is this all there is and, mm. and feeling like they're meant to do more and um, make more of a difference, but they're maybe not sure where to get started or what to do. And so I think that there's a, a high level of desire to want to make things better, but really not knowing where to start and, and wanting to create that additional meaning, but, but not knowing where to start. Mm, indeed. And a part of that challenge is because we are transiting between value systems and, and not everybody, of course, is, is moving between uh, layers five and six in Graves' model, which is the, the sort of scientific industrial paradigm to the, the relativistic postmodern. Other people, depending on their life conditions, are transiting between different value systems. And, and so we've got multiple uh, layers of change. And when we're in between that space, uh, you know, from as we move from one value system to another, we have to let go of our old values. It's like our anchor points uh, come loose and float a little while. And that can be a very scary place to be when we're not quite sure what our values are. But And I think that's where uh, the Change Code book is going to be really useful for people to just read about the value systems and straight away they'll be able to identify which one of those you know they feel that they're moving to at the time and I think that's going to be really really useful because it will help people start to put down new anchors and really settle on okay yeah that's that's what I'm feeling yeah and that's been interesting that's definitely been a lot of the responses that I've been getting back from the book so far from people who read it and just from people around me is just a almost a surprise that this theory was out there and that it is so descriptive of what's happening right now and the experience that they're feeling. And so I think it provides a lot of reassurance to know that, you know, this is happening, these are the, the different layers and that it's normal to move between these and that some of the, the chaos and tension that we're experiencing, both as a society and as individuals, is really a normal part of the development process. I think that that uh, was really reassuring to me and that's what I'm hearing from others as well. Yeah, absolutely. And this, I mean, this model really represents the kind of quantum mechanics of psychology. And I don't want to scare anybody off by saying yeah. that, but it really is. It's teasing out the, the background detail in understanding human nature and psychology, which really just hasn't leaked into the mainstream yet. But now is the time for that to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. 
I just want to say, actually, on that point, too, with regards to the model, uh, and many listeners to this show and to the podcast are getting pretty familiar with Claire W. Gray's model, but if not, I think one of the one of the important things that your book also shows is the model is uh, an, an overarching model. It is a quantum model, but you incorporate and you mention uh, a number of other pieces of good work, of tools that you use that can be used. So it's not that the model is the only thing. It's the model can, of course, encompass really good work that represents uh, and reflects the movement movement uh, between value systems where necessary and I think that's really important to, to for people to understand that this is not some sort of this is the answer kind of thing it is a structure which uh, which shows and reflects and mirrors the actual process which uh, which human beings actually do go through yeah I, I think it's definitely a really helpful framework for understanding the different layers that we move between and understanding where we've been as a society and as individuals, but also to kind of give us some hope about what's possible, because I think a lot of us who are optimists kind of believe that, you know, we're able to create greater things as a society, but this really gives us um, kind of a hard and fast framework to show us what really is possible, you know, with moving into second tier and uh, those next layers that we're getting close to. Mm. Wonderful. We'll take another break and perhaps we'll, uh, we'll have another session or even two. We'll see how we go with you and uh, we might look at those second tier uh, examples and possibilities and, uh, and things to, to look at, the, the value systems and the, the, what we can identify as second tier as it's moving forward. You're on BFM. You are tuned to Future Sense here with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Thanks for the other text. Someone's written and said, The trouble with America is it got to the top of Everest and found nothing there. That's one way of looking at it. All right, we'll be back soon. Thank you. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.